Howdy. 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 That's what I say. It's time to rock your world with another episode of Wait a minute. Connect this. Never always says howdy. Howdy. I say I say howdy like all the time, just for like my personal like (laughs) intros and things like that. I'm a very howdy guy. Anyway, you can find Doug every morning on Pots and Pans, where he has a great blog post. Uh, he's uh, he's on Twitter promoting Pots and Pans blog post, and he runs CCG, a consulting company that has no room for clients. Don't bother asking. Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, laughing there was Kimberly P. McBroadband Face McKinley <laughs> from Utopia, which is coming to a state near you. You know, we are we are expanding. Um, I don't know if I, I I think I need some sleep at some point in my life. Too much caffeine is really starting to get to me. Kim, I feel like the light has changed. You changed your office around because you're kind of in shadow. I feel like I have to ship you a lamp. Oh, oh it's because the sun moves. <laughs> Just, you know, the sun She's going to go move the sun back. <laughs> it's uh, when the like Utah, the sun comes up and is at a different angle at this time of year and just not great. But I, I keep my son over here. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Travis Carter, who's on his places uh, tour of places that are warm in March. Welcome back, Travis. So, Chris, I have made a decision. I no longer am a citizen of Minnesota in the winter. There are smarter people than us. Eighty-five I last week. Here. Yeah. I thought of you. It was it was a beautiful blue sky. It was like 35 degrees. I'm like, what is Travis talking about? This is amazing. Well, I don't even need to leave sleep. 85 and sunny here. It's amazing. I, I will not be coming back until the weather changes. Well, I think our first topic uh, will um, will change your mind, perhaps. I, I should introduce myself. <laughs> um, I'm Chris Mitchell, uh, the fan of John Mellencamp, uh, Cougar or No, uh, just a, a big fan. So I thought I'd lead off with a lyric of his this morning or this the top of the show, whatever you call that. Um, and uh, today we're going to be talking about some cool stuff. We're going to be talking about uh, digital discrimination versus digital redlining. Um, and we're having on a, a specialist who's given us a lot of thought to talk about it. And then we're probably also going to have on, and I say probably, but almost definitely, uh, one of our colleagues at ILSR who has a strong reaction to what I think will be the reaction <laughs> of our guests. Um, and so we're going to have uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion about um, about whether we should be using digital discrimination, digital redlining, and in what context. And then we're also going to be talking about other issues around that, including which companies uh, tend to engage in those practices. Um, and then I think we're going to talk about a couple of other topics that are in the news. Uh, as always, jump in the chat. Tell us what we should be talking about, and uh, we will make fun of you uh, mercilessly. Um, but uh, we would love to have your input to um, make us feel good about ourselves uh, as we um, have the power not to do what you want. This is getting worse. I mean, it's pretty clear that Travis has to take over hosting the show, don't you think? I'm just I'm making a case for it every week. I'm enjoying Actually, I was trying to figure out. Why did he add Cougar to his name? So I really don't know the history there. So but. I'm I'm pretty sure it was because it was considered cool. Like he was trying to be cool in the early 80s. Hmm. But okay. There's a lot of people listening who have no Cougar idea who we're talking about. I have no idea. Okay, yeah. So I might as well get it over with. This is the part that I think people have tuned in for. Roll 212. Henry's going to roll the video. 
it comes back to what Travis said earlier is 25 megs, not good. Enough. Although I think it's almost gone. I mean, I, I do think oh. we're going to see a new standard and, and I'm very curious. Um, I, I, I was just telling my team today that one year from today, hey, Travis, I'll bet you uh, a plate of wings, which should, if I win or if I lose, would be the first time I've ever bought you anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll bet you a plate of wings that in one year, the definition of broadband is much better. Oh, hold on. You left that kind of open. What do you mean much? Oh, better? I think it may depend on the chair because uh, I don't think this is going to get resolved until there's a new FCC chair and it might depend on that. I don't know that I want to stick my my wing bet on 100 100. So I feel like I want to go low and say 50 10. Um, but um, but y'all can call me chicken. Um, so hold on. Let, let, me, let me understand the bet. I'm going to buy the wings. Well, if yeah. it stays 25 3, then I have to buy some. I have to buy wings for Travis and I should do something else that's nicer too. So Travis has to come back to Minnesota. <laughs> You only have Sorry. one more day. You still have a day. I didn't have my uniform on, correct? I noticed from the video, so I put my hat on. So, um, so one plate of wings. We've been yapping. No, no, here. no. So oh, that's we didn't want to run the whole five-minute segment. Um, I did later say wings for the rest of the year. Ah, well, is that tomorrow then, or is that today? I mean, it doesn't matter. I've lost. I'm defeated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the FCC is not going to change it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> sad so, okay well let's see so should we start tomorrow doing wings then or what you coming out to arizona <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> sad it's a sad thing to win isn't it it's still 25 3 we have all I this think and it is remarkable it is remarkable that the biden administration uh, has so bungled its fcc i'll just start there well, they seem to be a little busy with other things, right? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, yeah. Can I just chime in here? In, in 2015, Kim, I wrote Kim a blog. Too. I wrote a blog in 2015 that said, in 2022, the definite the, the speed of broadband has to be 98 megabits per second, just by math. Boom! Here we are. So, wow, Doug is calling his shot. No, we need some progress with the FCC today. Let's see. Like, we're slowly inching into a full FCC. So Gigi was approved by committee today uh, and um, has advanced to the Senate floor where um, I'm not going to bet it, but hopefully in the next few weeks we'll go on to be um, the fifth member of the FCC. Not until we get the full number of senators back, including the one who's out for sick leave. Yep, so... No, I thought he was back today. That's Is why they back? voted. Oh, that's great. Okay. Good. Yeah, I think they voted today. I think he's back. I hope they get it to the floor fast. So, do you want a, do you want a new prediction then, Chris? And I'll buy you wings. Sure. In another, in another year, it will be very difficult to find hardware that will go so, as slow as twenty five three. That will have to start. <laughs> will have that 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 will force the adoption to increase speed because nobody will make anything that goes that ridiculously slow anymore. So it's Travis, already hard. It's already hard. You can't buy DSL except on eBay. Yeah. EBay, so yeah. They're not making the, the chip manufacturers are not making the old technology anymore. So right. where are you going to find this stuff? So. All right, I want to I want to note something quick before we move on to the, the digital redlining stuff, and that is, um, Doug, you mentioned the mapping deadlines today. Did you just want to talk about that very briefly? Um, while we're talking about the FCC, what uh, is happening there? Oh, you wrote this two weeks ago, so now you don't even know what I'm talking about because you just had it on auto post, probably. He just <laughs> left. Well, he, he's out. 
I call this bluff. He's been lying this whole time. He's not even writing the posts. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, he just disappeared to go take a, care of his dog. Now he just disappears. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we did have a, uh, a sense from NTIA that uh, they are going to soften the Buy America rules. Um, that um, Alan Davidson, who is the head of NTIA, um, basically suggested that um, the the sort of signals that they had sent previously, the administration had sent regarding this being very strict, um, may not be quite as strict. Yeah, but they're not really saying either way. They're saying there has to be a standard, but we might um, give some waivers in there. So they're not really putting anything out there in, uh, in like concrete right now of what is going to happen. But I think they're signaling that things will be changing. Um, like, but I think that you have to with the supply chain issues, right? You can't, you can't just put restriction on top of restriction on top of restriction and say, build a network <laughs> with everything that's going on. So, I mean, Travis would know this. I, because, you know, except are you just on vacation? Or are you working in Arizona? Oh, no, no. I'm still working a little. No, no. I'm working a lot. Sorry. Yes, yes. Busy. Eight, 12-hour <laughs> days. Yes. Um, you know, so the, so the reality is I don't know what you're going to buy American. I guess that's the thing. I mean, you're going to buy American labor, which will obviously be good. But if you're looking for parts and pieces, we got our June of 2022 orders have now been pushed out to the end of 2023 and potentially into 2024 from our American vendors. So I'm not sure where people think they're going to get all the stuff from. Um, so it honestly, I have no idea what they're going to do with all this money because there's not a, there's not a whole pile of parts just laying around to be deployed. But I will tell you this, I say that, but, but equipment that we ordered, they said there was going to be long lead times on, is starting to show up in, by the by the pallet load and truckload right now. So I'm not sure where the big issue is, is ultimately going to land, but I know it's fiber cables, terminals, drops to houses, things like that. Those are in, in very, very, very short supply right now. We did have a – Henry had posed the question internally about – about what NTIA can do versus what Congress can do. And I believe Congress gave NTIA some leeway to make exceptions as needed. And so uh, it does have some capacity to do that, although it had suggested that um, the wide range of exceptions that have been used in the past would be more restricted this time. And now we're kind of going back and forth on that. So I guess, you know, part of it is no one knows right now, right? Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's the answer, honestly. No one really knows. Doug? How do you find out? I, I agree. It's you know, it'd be hard to comply even if you wanted to, but with the supply chain issues, it'll be virtually impossible. I am 100% in favor of Buy American. I saw, I hope that we can make as much of it stick as possible. I mean, I, I really want to see this push people to make stuff here. That's the whole point. The whole point is not to get this grant done, but the point is to make people open up American, you know, factories. And so I hope it works. But, but to that, like, to ask a question regarding that, Doug, is that if these companies build these major factories in America to produce these technologies and whatnot, fiber or whatever, the, the long term, if, like after all this money is being spent, can they keep those factories running at full capacity? Um, well, the, the answer is probably yes for everything except fiber. Fiber is like a $5 billion factory. It takes years to build. It takes 20 years to pay for it. And this fiber boom is going to be over in 20 years worldwide. So 
And so that that is probably the one piece that may not get solved. You know, I, anyone who makes enclosures and pedestals and all that stuff can make other stuff too. So that you know the so you know those guys will never run out of things to make. And people that make pigtails and just do the wiring out of the fiber they buy will be fine. But but that, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Fiber will be the choke point because it, it doesn't make economic sense to build a new fiber factory. Mm -hmm. and, and the parts and pieces I'm talking about buying from an American company are actually manufactured in Mexico. So, you know, you got to dig into it. So I don't know if that would qualify or not as no, buying right American. Now, right now it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Okay. So, yep. So, so the, think... yeah, the American manufacturer gives us 72-week lead times. If you call the Chinese manufacturer, they can have it to you here in, in four to six weeks. So it's pretty sad. I mean, it would be curious to see what happens. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're at what I would call a singularity because um, I just made that word up. No one's ever used it in this situation before. Like, I mean, anyone who studied history knows that at this point, like of World War One, World War Two, like no one really had a sense of how bad things were going to get. Like, I feel like a lot of us are looking at um, the situation in in Ukraine and obviously um, horrified, uh, but also you don't you don't know what happens next and so um there was tremendous world trade before world war one and so i'm i'm with doug in that like i feel like it's really important we get people connected but larger policy issues suggest that we really want to be more locally self-reliant um not to you know hit the nail too hard on the head here um <laughs> where we can't but, but i want to talk about mdus um so let's let's talk about the FCC's order. This has been something that was asked, um, and um, I feel like um, not to slate anyone, but I feel like Doug probably. Oh, you know what? Um, we're actually. I was just going to jump into that, but since Angela's here, um, who you can't see yet, we're actually going to jump into digital discrimination versus digital redlining. So, um, Angela, welcome. Hi, hi everyone. Angela was on a show a long time ago, and she's been so busy. She hasn't been able to come back, even though I've invited her every week, and she just keeps ignoring my emails. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what true. happened. Um, Angela's with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, and then I asked Sean to join as well because we talked about this topic today, and he had very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> right, because I never have strong opinions. <laughs> and so I felt like it was uh, it was worth having it on. So. Angela, we, um, you and I have talked a little bit about digital inclusion versus, I'm sorry, about um, digital discrimination as a term versus digital redlining. And we actually haven't gotten too much into the details. And so I think I know what you're going to say, but I would just love for you to, to tell us, um, you know, about why that is uh, an important distinction between those two terms. Yes. So digital redlining has been used, um, in lots of different ways. I think maybe it sounds kind of sexy, so it gets used even though um, it's not digital redlining. So digital redlining is a geography-based activity. I think that's the most important thing about it. Um, when NDIA created our definition we, around digital redlining, we did so with our community as we do all of our work. So our definition of digital redlining is that it is discrimination by internet service providers this is important because there's an effort to make it mean just anything regarding digital and, um, you know, bad things. Um, internet service providers in the deployment, maintenance, or upgrade of infrastructure or delivery of services. Uh, and that the denial of services has disparate impacts, so not intention, impacts on people in certain areas. This is the geography part. 
of cities or regions most frequently on the basis of income, race, or ethnicity. So the fact that we're talking about um, geography is important. And the fact that we're talking about impact, not intention, is important because those things are often used to say, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. Um, but they are doing that. So I think I disagree with you. And, and I'm oh, curious if other people it. disagree with me. Okay. And so um, if I understood the definition correctly, um, AT&T would not be digital or would be digital redlining in, for instance, in, um, in uh, Cleveland, where you documented that years ago. Yes. Um, so I feel like digital redlining, the term should include uh, intent. Uh, I feel like that's kind of the point of the but redlining was that it was an intentional intent. decision. But, but we can't we can't prove it, Chris. So if we can't prove it, we will forever lose. And, so I, and what, I have to what, agree with Angela because you're never going to get the, the email from the corporate headquarters going, "Don't go to that neighborhood." Oh no, I agree with that. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> on that. My point is, what is the what is the why ever use the term digital discrimination? Then how is that different from your definition of digital redlining? The digi so digital discrimination actually came about because the providers didn't like digital redlining. So they came up with digital discrimination because they, you know, it's a bad look. It is a bad look mm -hmm. to have somebody saying that you've engaged in digital redlining. It sounds very racist because eh, it may actually be racist. Um, but dig so digital discrimination didn't come about because it was intentionally understanding that there are other forms of this occurring. It came about because the providers didn't like digital redlining. But now that we have this term codified in the Infrastructure Act, we're actually finding it to be pretty useful because I think there are other forms of digital discrimination. Um, and, and I think the process we're all gonna go through now with the FCC is defining what those other things are. Um, and I'll give you a really specific example of one. Um, marketing of one's services. Uh, and so I was in my grocery store recently and there was someone marketing uh, a cable service and um, if I, my husband owns our account, so she wasn't able to look it up because he owns the account. But if he had been there with me, she would have been able to look up the account and discuss our account with us and get us whatever other product we may have wanted, um, which is kind of convenient to have a real person right there. And I said, oh, you know, do you have a low cost offer? I know they have a low cost offer, but I'm asking, so do you have a low cost offer? And her response was, uh, yes, we have the affordable connectivity program. Mm, that's not exactly what I was asking for. They have a low cost offer, but okay. So how do I get your, how do I find information on this? Here's a 1-800 number. So I could talk to a real person, but if I'm a low income household, I have to call a 1-800 number. Mm -hmm. that's and, that's, and that's if someone tells you the 800 number. <laughs> yes. And that's, right. to, that's if I even knew to ask that right. question. What, what was she the right now? Yeah, what was Good. the rationale of why you would have to call the 1-800 number? Did you like push her on that? I did not push her on that. Um, I don't think she would have known the answer to that. I think that decision gets made. I, I, I My perception is that it's profit, right? I am more profitable. Like they're going to get more money out of me than a low-income household. So it's worth paying her to stand on the grocery store for me, but not for the household that's eligible for ACP. And I would also venture that they didn't stand in the grocery store in the poorest neighborhoods who may not even have a grocery store. So, Yes, which is interesting because that grocery store has 
it's it's in a very sensitive it's legit like right in between a wealthier neighborhood and a poorer neighborhood so they do get both of them in there so they are not serving half the folks that come into that so here's my issue i mean i feel like you know this is perhaps becoming academic so it's it'd be um we can argue more strenuously about it under the law of the less important things are the more strongly we feel feelings about them um and um, so we're basically saying that digital discrimination is the term and um, in digital redlining is um, is a similar term that we're not using for kind of strategic reasons in a couple of ways. I've had an objection to the term redlining because I feel like to use it in these terms does a disservice to that term, much in the same way that misusing the term genocide uh, is a disservice to that word. It's a word that means something specifically. Redlining specifically was a government policy that that made markets and, and basically set communities of color back decades. Um, you know, it was enforced for a long time. It prevented the private sector from doing anything. Uh, and it's it's just, it's the most extreme version of this. I mean, in fact, what I said in my, in our team meeting is that like, if the United States was still doing that today, we would call it ethnic cleansing, um, those policies. And to, to lay that to the simple fact that like, I mean, I chafe against this because AT&T is like, where can we make money? And like, I don't think they're really thinking along racial terms at all. And now, you know, we can talk about systemic racism and whatnot. I'm about to stop talking in a second. Um, <laughs> I, I could just keep going forever on this. But like, I just feel like it's, it's not the right frame necessarily uh, in order to look at this. Um, so Angela, go ahead. The reason I think it is the right frame is because that systemic racism is just being compounded. So the, that, that redlining that occurred before, where's the digital redlining occurring? It's the mm -hmm. same neighborhoods, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not as if, um, it's not as if it's happening someplace else. You can overlap the maps. You can overlap the maps of where housing redlining occurred and where the digital redlining is occurring. And I think that's the important piece for us all to be talking about is that racism has this long tail, right? So even though that happened in the past, it's still impacting people today. And one of the ways that it's still impacting people today, people of color today is in digital redlining. I think okay. redlining really helps you visualize the big problem. Because if you talk about digital discrimination, when I'm just sitting here listening to Angela speak, I'm like, that could mean so many things when you're saying digital discrimination. Where does that really go? Um, when you're saying digital redline, I know exactly, at least in my um, in my mind, what that means of that, like economically disadvantaged areas of a community are not getting broadband. But if I would never associate digital discrimination with um, not getting internet connectivity necessarily. That's my personal view of it. This is this is so rich. I want to make sure Sean Gonsalves, who is our communications team lead um, and is on our Community Broadband Bits podcast from time to time, has a chance now to to jump in and tell me that how he, how right he is and how wrong I am again. It, well, you know, it, it, it's it's lovely when you don't when I don't have to make the case that's been made already. That's why I was not in my head so strenuously. By the way, this conversation um, I think is rated. NC-17, because in a lot of states now, there's this push to, you know, we're not supposed to talk about this would probably fall under CRT, and we're not supposed to talk about these things among um, with children. So if anybody's children's watching this, they might want to hide them someplace and put oh, on earmuffs. Of our two viewers, Sean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. 
but no, I, that, that's, that, that's just it. You know, I think um, what Kimberly hit on is, is kind of at the heart of what I'm getting at, which is that the term redlining has such a history. And I think, you know, to Angela's point as well, is that what, what we're calling digital redlining or what some people are calling digital redlining, I think is that long tail effect. I mean, you know, as, as it relates to, you know, home ownership being tied to wealth and location and those kind of things, it makes sense to, and it also, for me, it's about an entry point. I think in terms of discussing these things, people to a certain degree have a, particularly in black communities, have a sort of anecdotal, visceral sort of understanding of what redlining is. And so there's an immediately, there's an immediate way to connect with people on, on that front as to what's going on. Now I get your point, Chris, in terms of, you know, not wanting to diminish what is a far, you know, a far worse problem, you know, at the heart of it in, in terms of, what redlining actually was as, as it relates to home ownership and property and, and and wealth transfers and and all of those kind of things. But but I think for people who are left out or who are you know for lack of a better term the victims of it, nobody and I agree. Like we don't care about intentions. We care about the effects. And it, right, but let's okay. So here's the thing, right? The solution to banking redlining was to change the policy so that banks were allowed to loan in those areas because effectively they were not allowed to loan in those areas um, through government um, insurance policies and whatnot. And banks also had their own red lines that they had drawn. But like here, it's not a solution of being like, well, now at and is free to invest in those areas, right? I mean, Travis got hit with this. Like, I mean, the comment that Jason put up is exactly right. This, the, the article that attacked Travis that we talked about either last week or the week before, um, was was it was the exact same thing it's the same damn map only it ignored the fact that it wasn't the same damn map travis is building in these neighborhoods <laughs> like and so like this is where i just get frustrated with that term redlining because i feel like it draws us to the wrong conclusions and and so like i don't disagree with what anyone's saying but strategically i think it's not the right framing but, but i think chris it's also you're limiting redlining to only being a government thing the banks were on their own discriminating Right. Like the, the real the, estate agents were discriminating. There was so much. Discrimination. No, no, no. But that's the point, though. The FH, it, they were so discriminating because the federal government required them to. Like, I mean, if you go back and look at um, the color of law, the, yeah, the, col the, col the color of law, Richard Rother is a great book. Yeah. But, and they, but Chris, it, even yeah. after the government fixed all those rules, people continue the red lines. And the real sure. estate agents still kept doing it. Banks kept doing it. And it's it. happening now. Right, it's like there happened. are lots of examples of exactly. how it's still that it's harder for a black family to get a, a you know a reasonable home loan um, than a white family. Like so, so we, I think the discrimination is still there, and those even those kinds of examples are harder to prove. And so when you talk to folks, so let's take go back to Cleveland. Um, Bill Callahan will say the folks in you know whoever D.C. or whoever may not know who's living in these neighborhoods, but our local AT&T folks know exactly who's living in these neighborhoods, right? So they could make different choices and they don't make different choices. But this, so this, this, it gets real. But this, this is the thing, right? The solution, it's a, let me just put my cards on the table. 
It is a dumb solution to think that the solution here is to try and get AT&T to invest more in these areas. AT&T has no interest in serving these communities and meeting their needs. If you want to try and get AT&T to like, um, you know, to like pretend that they care about it. Okay. AT&T will pretend to care about it. But like, this is what I get to. And the reason I care so much about this is a, I like arguing with intelligent people just for the sake of doing it. Like it's a character flaw or whatever. I mean, like everyone, anyone who sees me for five minutes recognizes that. But here's the thing, right? Minneapolis's solution to this is like, well, like we got to stop red line. We got to get the, you know, private companies to fix this. Well, we do nothing, right? Minneapolis and Hennepin County are like, we're going to do nothing because right. we want to stop redlining. We want the private companies to figure this out and they need to stop redlining. Right. So right. I think the opportunity that's in front of us with the FCC is to make sure that there are other solutions on the table. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. That we're not just saying those companies need to fix it, but to pull down any barriers to all the solutions that could be there. And maybe even there's money for those solutions. I think it's defining the problem first, which we haven't, we haven't, no federal agency has done that. So being able to define the problem clearly, and then all of us and, you know, all the friends we have out there making the arguments that all the solutions need to be on the table. I mean, we need another $45 billion grant program just for those neighborhoods. Absolutely. Because, because AT&T is never going to fix it. Somebody I think we do. What grant program do we have now, Doug? The rural you're, one. No, the 40, no, you're in a city. That's what I mean. We need an urban program. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Travis, I didn't hear what you said there. No, I said we're in a city, so we don't qualify for any of it. Isn't that where a lot of no, you you do it? qualify for it, and in and in Minnesota, apparently, we're going to see more money than I thought um, used in the metro core of the money that's available. So there's money I'll that bet, is I'll available. Bet you a dollar, none of it gets to us. I bet you a dollar. No, no, it's going to go to Comcast. Of course, it that's is. it's going <laughs> to go to the cities, and the cities are going to give it to Comcast and Century. Like, so and, that's, you know, like that's I, not. Can, can I can I mention one thing Angela said because. I wanted to talk about the signing up for the um, the service. And again, I'm a practical guy because you know I'm, I'm on the operational side of it. It's difficult to go through the qualification project for a, a person to qualify for these programs. So you generally have other people that handle that. If there was an easy process at the FCC to get qualified for it, I mean, you can get a credit card in like two minutes online just applying. But the, the process to go through the application to get your code to qualify for these dollars it's just it's not easy so i think that I, not that i'm trying to defend them but we have the same thing i can't just have a person on the phone sign you up for our low low cost program simply because we have this whole other rigmarole we have to go through to get approved well that's for the that's for one thing i think if you look at Comcast, I think they do have just about anyone can sign you up whereas other companies have made different decisions um doug yeah. you might fact check me on that i think you're right uh, i mean the FCC could have fixed that too. You put in your, you should be able to put in your social security number and boom, you're eligible or not. It should be that easy. That would be, I mean, that would be something the government could really help. And they, they supposedly have a database that does that, but this is a government database. So, yep. you ever interacted <laughs> with their database, Doug? Oh, I, I, I oh I, yeah, that's yeah, a dude. I, be, I believe those databases are on on uh, a 1985 version of Excel or something. <laughs> well, do you, do, you, do you think that a uh, you know, in the infrastructure bill, there was kind of a bit of a bone tossed in this direction with the, um, uh, you know, like affordable housing units and being eligible for 
Yeah, I think it was a bone. I don't think it's real. Well, let's yeah, ask Angela. I mean, Angela, you yeah. were deeply involved with the Digital <laughs> Equity Act, and I'm curious: did that have any connection with the the IIJA in the way affordable um, or that the low income housing unit or apartment buildings and whatnot were included as eligible expenses for the infrastructure dollars? Out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I was involved in those discussions, uh, so I can't answer that question. Okay. We were more in the the equity the digital equity act piece of it and things like digital discrimination and the affordable connectivity program so okay so you uh, i was curious if that i was if those things like intersected because i just i never saw that coming like i have no idea where it came from and and it's exciting because that's the answer to travis's question i mean like it's 42 billion dollars for broadband infrastructure almost entirely for rural areas except for high poverty um apartment buildings and that's huge only for those after the state has first spent all their money in the rural areas. No, I don't think that's the way. No, I think the, the commas are such that, Angela, you and I talked about this. I thought that that is listed as a co-equal expenditure. It, it read to us like it was a co-equal expenditure. Yeah, and to me, it didn't. And I've read it about eight times, too. But, so but we, reading these laws is horrible. It, 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 is, it is hard. And I think once we see more guidance come out of NTIA, then we're... NTIA gonna... is likely to side on the side of us, but we, you know, who knows, right? So... Uh, Kim, any thoughts on this? As we're, we're, uh, we'll let um, Angela go soon. She probably has three more hours worth of work tonight. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on this. It's a, such a multifaceted problem, right? You have the the apartment buildings and what kind of connectivity they will get in those buildings. What is it really robust connectivity? Are we just putting like a wireless solution in there? Like it is a solution of how do you sign up and where did the monies? From my perspective as um, a muni agency, like I am owned and operated by cities. If they wanted to get into and provide low, like any kind of subsidy, they would be sued by the incumbents for unfair treatment of, of their, uh, of our network and not giving that money to them. This is a very complex problem that I don't think is going to be solved necessarily. And I, I agree with Sean, this is just very, very bad of what is happening. And I don't think that I necessarily see a solution um, directly <coughs> right now of how we're going to solve this. We can throw as much money as we want at it, but I think it, there needs to be um, everybody involved and really caring about this issue. And unfortunately, I don't think as many people that we all care, there's as many people in these communities who have power who care as much as we do. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ultimately the issue, I feel like. I mean, my interactions with um, um, more of my watching folks, there's cities that are doing good stuff on this. And Jason Hardeback here from Baltimore, um, they're doing really remarkable stuff. Stay tuned on Tuesday for Broadband Bits for a kind of really cool audio uh, feature that we're posting uh, that won't be an interview, but will be a discussion of what they're doing. That's really cool. But in Minneapolis, I just see elected officials pretending that they care about this issue and then giving the money to Comcast as fast as possible so they can focus on other things that they care more about. And it's it's tremendously disheartening. Um, with that, I do want to say, Angela, if you and Sean, if you want to stick around for a second, we are going to continue this to the part two, which is um, a claim that Doug had made, which is that AT&T and Verizon are the two biggest digital discriminators or digital redliners in the nation. And I um, uh, wanted to ask Doug to talk more <coughs> about that. Sure. It's actually, first, historically, it goes back to exactly what Angela talks about. There's been city after city where we knew how DSL did it. One megabit DSL, everybody had it. By the time DSL was up to 50 megabits, guess who still had one megabit, right? So we know that story. That's old story. And they were paying the same prices. That's Both one of the, of the things digital. Yeah, that's one prices. of the things that Angela documented. 
Now, what, what we're seeing now is both of those companies are going to be building 15 to 20 million more passings of fiber. And they both claim that they're going to build where it's most cost efficient. That's how they describe it in their press releases, their everything they talk about in their annual reports. And yet, if you go to my city where I went and printed the 477 map, and we've got about a dozen pockets of AT&T fiber here, guess where they're all at? <laughs> they're all in the places where the big houses are. Now, if, if, they, if they double that to 24, I think it'll still be the same because <laughs> they're not big pockets. They only built pockets of like 30 or 40 or 50 homes. They're cherry picking to the nth degree. And, and so, I mean, you literally will go to one of these pockets and it'll go down a block and a half of fiber. And then when you get to the first small house, the fiber stops. And it's, and it's not here in this city. It's not necessarily racial. It's, it's economic. It's hot, big house, little house. But that happens to also be quite racial. But a lot of, a lot of cases, it's not. It, it's, it's more economic. But they're still doing it. And so, the, but, the, you, but they will never admit that they're doing it. But you can take the map of any city because their fibers mapped on the 477. You can go in any city and see where they built. And, and you're going to find it. We, they did it all over again. Verizon has always done it that way. Fios did this from day one. Fios never went to downtown DC, ever. And that, I mean, they didn't even pretend to go to neighborhoods like that. So, and so they're, and now that they're building again, they're, they're doing the same thing again. So, so because, they're the biggest ones just because they're building so many lines. Yeah, There's I, lots of other people doing it, so. I have a question for Angela, and that's what I was kind of gonna get back to is that when you're seeing these areas that are only building in the um, economically pr privileged areas and they're not going into the low income, can't that be perceived as intent um, from the carriers? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it could, but as Doug noted, it's also happening in poor white neighborhoods. So so it is it is the person, and again, I'm not in like an AT&T meeting, right, to hear what they're talking about, but I'm gonna make assumptions that it is about the profit margin. Um, and I think that's a pretty reasonable assumption. Uh, and with, so I think I would agree with Doug that it is um, AT&T and Verizon are the places that we're seeing it, where I would want to hear his opinion is to see if it aligns with what we're seeing. We're seeing AT&T is doing it more um, in pockets of neighborhoods, whereas Verizon, it just skips whole cities. So it's a different kind of, it's redlining is like, it's, it's a whole city rather than the particular neighborhoods within so it's still geographic but it's not the same strategy um doug do you are you no that's that? not very agt does only small pockets and verizon does much bigger pockets it, you're absolutely right but they still very selectively pick where those bigger pockets go at&t at is micro targeting so it's you're going to be able to make the same maps you made in cleveland all over again. so we actually are already making the, yeah. same, the same maps um because we're already seeing the fiber rollout um, right. So that's our next report, actually. They, shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's going to focus well, that, on well, between us and the, we are, we're outnumbered the listeners. We're us, so. we're us and two <laughs> And unless those two viewers work for the FCC, you're good. So we, we were looking at Verizon in the Baltimore area um, to look at some racial demographics. And it was pretty clear to me, if I remember correctly, and we didn't finalize the analysis to have anyone critique it. So I don't, you know, it never really went through a peer review, but it looked like um, Verizon had effectively redlined Baltimore using that language um, in, in order to build fiber, um, not in order to, but while also building fiber to entire majority black 
um, suburbs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so um, that's one of the issues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Angela, we have the icon so small because we have so many of us now, but like, uh, it's about the money. And so like, in, um, but I, I want to know. Part like, of the Verizon, reason for that is, is Prince George's County in Maryland, which is the richest you know, minority county in the country. And I lived there for 30 years and, and they're still building to the big houses in that county. Well, yeah. Economic more than it is necessarily. Right it is economic, but I also just want to know, yeah. Travis, do you want to like share your lessons about building to big houses in Minneapolis? Yeah. Big houses are, are, are not what the customers you're looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. you know well, when I'm saying big houses, I don't live in a city that has very many big houses. I'm talking about, Neighborhoods where the houses cost more, they may not be, they're not giant, but well, and this, clear, there's, a clear, there's a clear difference in the, in the economics. <clears throat> sure, but, but I think I think the economics play out well in all neighborhoods. Oh, I completely to, agree with you. They just, yeah. for some reason, those companies don't believe that. No, and I don't know. I, don't think I have lots of ISPs who build in all the neighborhoods, and they, over the long run, they do just as well in all of them. So I don't understand. They should know this by now. Yeah, if, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, build right next to the AT&T network because AT&T has spent all the money educating people on what fiber is and what good internet is, and and you can harvest customers like crazy. It's, it's no different than what CenturyLink did here in Minneapolis. They did like every fourth or fifth street. We filled in the middle, got all those customers, and then we picked up all the customers they had. So I think people think it's a binary thing where this neighborhood is terrible and this neighborhood is not. It isn't anymore, and the big the big reason for it is the advent of streaming media and entertainment. Is people want to get their Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, TV, and if you can get that kind of middle market, you know the the very wealthy and and the, and at the very other end, they're not avid internet users, but everyone in the middle is. Right. And so I, I don't I, I think you know the, there's other issues like for us, it's just a construction time. How much can you get in the ground? year over year over year and how, how big a piece of the pie can you take it while, while out running your bank financing see we don't have access to these quadrillions of dollars the feds are printing like everybody else does so we have to do it the old-fashioned way financially well, they, viable. i hate to tell you but i hate to tell you but they don't give grants to people who wear hats so i mean I, I've, been meaning, I've been meaning to talk to you about this i, I didn't put it on because that's what i had on the bet so yeah <laughs> wow Wow. I would challenge this. And I think it's something that Angela said, which I agree with, is some of the marketing to, I mean, I'm a marketing professional at heart, is, is going to be harder. Your customer acquisition costs are going to be larger in these areas in which some of these big incumbents might not want to really go after, right? Because it's not as easy. You might, they're not necessarily, some of these areas are not necessarily um, early adopters as others, and you might have to educate them more on the power of fiber and whatnot. And it I think it takes more time. You're right, Kim. It, it takes, takes more time, time and education and face time. Yeah. And a lot of the people just are like, well, why don't we just go after the things that are the easiest and then just move on to the next market? And let me yeah. say one more thing, one more quick thing. In my city, when talk big, little, big neighborhoods are not giant, 2,000 square foot houses. The little neighborhoods have seven, 900 square foot houses, but they're also all rentals and they have a lot of churn. And I think that the churn scares them away as much as anything. Mm. But, but, there's, but there's more of them. See, I love there, them. I, I know there's more of them. They're closer together. You, you know, the problem I have is a lot of these people that are designing these networks are doing it from a spreadsheet or a map. I know, I know. And they're not actually. And they're sitting 11 streets away and they know nothing about the market. No, if you, if you get out they're there. They're sitting in other cities. Uh, they've been sitting in the yeah. same city. Right. I mean, 
you know, well, you know, I, I think, oh, I mean, the, the, I think the issue overall, I mean, what we're kind of pointing to and which, why why this can be sometimes a little bit messy to talk about is just like the way, you know, race and class intertwine in in, right. in the country. And you can't really separate the two, just the history of it. I mean, I mean, even as it relates to redlining, as it relates to home ownership, there's this guy, Garrett uh, Nelson, who's the curator of maps and director of geographic scholarship at the Leventhal Map and Education Center at the Boston Public Library. And he argues as it relates to redlining and home ownership that historically redlining wasn't only about race. And he points to like how when there were certain cities where the majority of redline neighborhoods didn't even have black residents living in them, like Quincy, Massachusetts, apparently at, at some point, which is not far from where I am. And he, his, his argument is that 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 the federal government wasn't really trying to enforce segregation so much as it was agreeing to help manage risk in the, for the financial industry with using credit and bond issuing powers to stabilize the market for private mortgages and what have you. Although he's quick to note that that those evaluations were unquestionably saturated in like racist ideology and all that. Um, but it just speaks to even as it relates to redlining in the housing market that there's this intertwining of of, of race and class. And so, and that's the reason why I don't think we need to get so far into the semantic argument about what to call this digital discrimination, digital redlining, I think to the extent that redlining has historically existed, it, it's it's a good sort of marker um, and it's a good visual to help people understand geographies and how certain classes of people that may not always be directly related to race or intertwined with race are get, get left out. And, and the question as to how you solve that problem and what the solutions are is sort of a separate question, and it's not really about necessarily forcing AT and T to, to you know, to, you know, uh, you know, serve everyone per se. But but that it it just speaks to the complexity of how race and class are so intertwined. So two things. First of all, earlier today, Sean, you had said something about being nervous about speaking without notes. You're crazy. You're great without notes. <laughs> you don't need any notes. <laughs> it depends on what it is. <laughs> Second, I want to, uh, I, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, part of my objection to the term redlining is is perhaps um, uh, pedantic. I've been accused of that before. Um, but all, honestly, like it is, does come back to the solutions. And I'm quite worried about us embracing the wrong solutions, spending tons of money and not really getting to the root of this and actually solving the problem. So with that, I want to know, we're going to close out this discussion. Angela, I want to ask you before you go, you know, you're keeping a close eye on all this stuff. What's a thing or two that gives you hope that we are going to um, solve this problem? Um, nothing. She's just like nothing. No, I had to pause for a second when you asked that question. I think the fact that that we're having the discussion, lots of folks are having the discussion. That's fabulous. Um, that the FCC now has a task force of staff people on this, not a bunch of volunteers in a committee, uh, which is also happening. And we had a conversation with those staff and it was fabulous. So that really, um, there was a particular person there who just asked so many good questions. So clearly she was thinking about it really hard and she's a person of color and she clearly cared about where it was going. So if that continues, like that that conversation that we had that some of my team members and I had with, with those folks at the FCC, that gave me hope. But I think the the bigger thing really is that it's a conversation now. Yeah. Even though it got watered down as digital discrimination, I think that might actually be a good thing because now it opens up things like marketing 
into the conversation. And we didn't really have that before. So the fact that all these conversations are happening, even though we fight with some of the ISPs about what this is, even the fact that we're able to have those conversations and be fighting about it, nobody was even talking about it before. So, I mean, you know, small win, but still, I think we're on a positive trajectory. Excellent. Yeah. Now, I have a solution. I, I believe the market's going to take care of it, but not in the way that you hope. We're on the verge of all the, all the cellular companies offering 100 megabit broadband for $50 everywhere in the cities. And I think all the people who are on DSL or who can only afford $50 a month are going to flip over to T-Mobile. And so but, they're but not fiber. Data? Doug, it's with not unlimited fiber. data? Huh? With unlimited data. data? Unli yes, unlimited data. Uh-huh. Unlimited data, 100 megabits a second, not 100 megabits up. It's probably 100 by 20. Just funny, funny about that number. And, uh, and but it's not fiber in 10 years from now that's going to feel like DSL again. And so we're just going to push it. We're going to push it off for a decade. So. I share. I think that's. I think that will solve the problem in some cases, Doug. I share Angela's skepticism. Just I think Angela also has seen what happens when you saturate some of these neighborhoods with these um, with uh, the cellular modems and things like that. If you have 50% of the people in these areas trying to take that service, I wonder what kind of throughput they're going to be getting. Well, only if it's, gonna, it's up to T-Mobile to not redline. So they, 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 they need to build enough small cells. Yeah. Doug, are you, are you seeing right now the unlimited data, or you're expecting yes. them to go to unlimited? Oh, no, it's available now. And uh, in which, where are you seeing? Verizon, it's scattered everywhere. I, I, I've actually seen the rural areas first, but T-Mobile has signed up 400,000 customers in the last quarter. We're expecting to have six million customers by the end of next year. We expect to have 30 million customers in three years. And, and Verizon has similar plans. AT&T just doesn't say what their plans are, but. And AT&T also doesn't have unlimited data. Gee, what a shock. So, so within, within that digital discrimination realm, then, I would say what we're seeing is um, lifeline providers are convincing folks to, to put their ACP benefit towards that mobile lifeline service, and they get a little more data. It's not unlimited data. That's well, not unlimited at all. That's no, we did a total scam. Like, so yeah. they're, like if, if we get to mobile service with unlimited data, I will celebrate Till the, till the end. But it's right now, coming. It's, it's coming this year. It's coming. We're, we're uh, in in all markets or just certain markets. Everywhere that you can get a five G signal from T Mobile, it's available now. So wherever I, there's five G, and I so five G again is another one where it's not really five G, but when it's but, five G. Well, well, yeah, if I could just jump yeah. in for a second, just I mean because. Yes. Like I think this is the T-Mobile 5G, which is a, I think there's a couple of a confluence of things. One is that this is the slow 5G version that goes that uses uh, the lower band, um, uh, you know, so it has a greater propagation. Um, and the other thing is, is T-Mobile is being very aggressive right now because you know we're, we see these these things in flux. And I do not think that in three or four years, we will necessarily see those same deals and everything. But, um, you know, I'll be curious to, to see how it plays out. But I right now, this is a period of flux. I think T-Mobile is trying to come in and be the disruptor in this industry right now. And you're seeing it. Um, and what what happens in two years? I agree with you, Chris, we have no idea. But they are making T-Mobile is absolutely making a big splash. Um, trying to come in and kind of knock some of these other guys off. So but, but a decade from now, T-Mobile wireless will be like today's DSL. It'll be obsolete and it'll feel slow. So, so can Angel? I share with you all that I was on? Um, Idaho had a digital inclusion summit yesterday. So I was there. It was virtual and I was their keynote and, and T-Mobile participated. Did they say anything about that? No. What did they offer? Their lifeline mobile service. 
that's what they were pushing to this crowd of librarians. And, and this goes back to Kim's point where it's all marketing. If they don't market it, what good is it? That's exactly right. Right. Well, and so, I, go ahead, Sean. Just, just on the question of solution, I mean, there's like the... There's like the the supply the supply side stuff, for lack of a better term, that we're talking about. But there's also work to be done, and this is why the work Angela's doing, and 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 folks, you know, that work hard on digital inclusion. There's also the you know on the adoption front. I mean, there's like in some of these communities, the, this issue doesn't resonate the way other issues do, and and so there needs to be conversations about connectivity for what exactly. Mm -hmm. Well entrepreneurship there's there's that, that, that that's a big thing in these communities about entrepreneurship about and particularly as it relates to telehealth so right. it's like you you we, we can't just talk about this in the abstract about about this infrastructure and, and and it being immediately obvious to everybody about all of the different uses and everything like that especially when you've got a I think a sizable segment of folks who feel like, look, man, I got my, I got my, you know, iPhone or whatever. I can do whatever I need. You know, I don't, you know, I, what do I need to worry about this kind of stuff for? I, I, I can, you know, post stuff on Instagram and different things like that. But I think it's about also having those other kind of conversations about connectivity for what. Yes, I, I think you're exactly right, Sean. And let me do the and. You're exactly right. And understanding what their options are. Most of the EBB and affordable connectivity program is going to mobile service. Is it because people are making a choice that they that they want to use their $30 on their mobile service for that little bit more data um, instead of a wireline connection? Or is it because there, there was really no choice? Right? Like nobody said, here's the different options. It was that one option was put from there and they're like, sweet, more data. Of course I want more data. But so understanding where broadband service comes from, understanding the different technologies, that kind of education People don't know they're being screwed. Right, right. So that so that people see this just not in terms of being a consumer, but and 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 I can just say that in a lot of you know black communities, I'll say, and I don't speak for black people or anything close to that, but in a lot of black communities, there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of talk around financial liberation, you know, crypto, NFTs, you know, all of, all of this kind of stuff that just you know that 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 relates to all of these things and. And there's a lot of concern around, you know, mental health and access to healthcare and these kind of things. And so, so it, as we talk about these things, we have to be mindful of talking about these things with communities in a way that resonates with what, what their, you know, perceived needs are and what and what things are really important. I just want to thank Angela because he just wrote my next blog on cellular ACP. So. And <laughs> is absolutely correct, though, because it's about what this technology enables. And this goes back into my marketing point of are really these carriers going to come in and be like, this enables this. And I think it's the conversation or this statement that I've made all over over and over again. Just because you're economically disadvantaged, you shouldn't be broadband disadvantaged and bringing in that education piece of what they can do and how this empowers and can change their lives, I think is a huge thing. But I also believe that that's has some um, duty on the carriers, but a lot of duty on the city um, and I, the to, to do I, that. Kim, I want you to react to this. And then I want to hear Angela too, specifically on it. Um, you know, I just, I could disagree with Sean every time he kind of makes that point. Um, not because I think he's a hundred percent wrong, like he is on all the other things, but I think he's like <laughs> partially wrong. Um, and, and that's that, like, I just feel like, you know, I don't, 
I don't know. Like, I feel like it's it's demeaning to think that we have to go and talk to a lot of people about why broadband's important. I feel like anyone that has kids in the school system, they know that broadband's important. There's lots of folks. They're on mobile because they can either afford a mobile phone or a fixed connection. And that fixed connection doesn't leave them when they're on the bus. You know, like, I mean, they can't take it with them. And so I'm not going to disagree that there's definitely like a ton of work to be done in terms of like educating people and like getting telehealth out there and building that trust that needs to get done. And there's certainly a number of people that don't understand a lot of the benefits. But I feel like most of the people we're trying to connect, they know, they get it, they want it. Am I wrong? I, I have absolutely, I have an interview on tape and I can show it to you, is that a, a high-end resident of this community, we interviewed him for um, just some testimonials and he's sitting there going, well, I could have, it wasn't going so well because he was like, oh, I could have gotten wireless and that would have been great. And I'm like, great, we did a testimonial of a guy who said that he could get wireless. But as we continue to ask the questions and saying, what if, like, how has this changed your life? He really thought that his, he could see his, his dad virtual or like through video and his dad, who's 80 something years old, can live from home of this technology. This guy, I think he had owned his own company. He's retired um, in this high end community, had no idea what this connectivity really could do until we started pressing him. Um, so I think, yes, on the surface level, I think that Sean's right, that people think Instagram, they think whatever Facebook or social media and what I can put on YouTube, they do not think of the whole ecosystem of what connectivity can provide. Right. And I'm not and I'm certainly not suggesting that people don't, you know, have an inherent sort of sense of, of, of these things. And there's certainly not, you know, no, no particular community has got a monopoly on that. But I just think it's important to connect the dots sometimes and to be explicit about uh, you know, the, the, you know, the kind of benefits that connect with, with, with the things that, that people are already talking about and that are already resonating. Um, and so, and I don't, you know, I don't think that's, you know, true of just, you know, of any one particular community, but it's, it's just, I think it, it, it makes the, it makes, it's about having a conversation that makes this stuff more real. Um, and sometimes it's easy, especially people that are in the space all the time for this to seem obvious, but I've come to learn in life that, the things that most of us think are obvious in the line of work that we do are not obvious to most people. Mm -hmm. We do surveys. 80% of people have no idea what broadband speeds they have. No mm -hmm. idea. Okay. So I want to, I want to give Angela a chance yeah. to uh, answer um, the sort of that last, 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 last question, and then go say hi to her family, remind them who she is. <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing more research be done with low income communities rather than for low and to low income communities. So I think these questions that we're asking now, better research and data is coming because it's being done with folks, not for them and to them. And I think Sean's right that it's, um, there is the how we use this question and it's true of lots of different populations, but it's also, we tend to, we tend to think people are like us. Right. I so don't. that we use that how I use the, everybody's like how I use the internet. That's why other people use the internet, kind of thing. Um, and it's because that's true. It's also like if you're in a world where the value is is entertainment and social media, then that's that's just the value. Not because you made any decision about that. That's just the space you live in. You know, my 11 year old thinks the same thing because that's the schoolwork. It's not just something she's forced to do, but it's really about the entertainment for her in the gaming. Um, and, and so it, even when I was doing this work 20 years ago, 
we were talking about how when we would introduce people, we would sh figure out what it is they liked and then show them how they could get it on the internet. You like jazz music? Okay, let's show you how you can get jazz music. You're into recipes from wherever? Okay, let's find recipes from that homeland kind of thing. Um, connecting to your loved ones who live someplace else, whatever the thing is that gets them, and then using that as the, okay, let's show you something else that's really awesome. You wanna talk to your doctor? <laughs> um, but I, I think it's it's important for us to always be cognizant that we don't have all the answers and that we have to go talk to folks to find out those answers. And sometimes surveys do it, but a lot of times it's really working with the community. And that's why those local trusted institutions involved in digital equity solutions is so essential. Travis, I saw you're about to jump in, but let me just say thank you to Angela and Sean. Really great contributions. I really appreciate all the extra time you gave us. I'd like to get Sean's um, maybe. See, because I, I look at the, I believe. No, I, I don't. And maybe is in. I, I guess I look, at, I look at this different because if you build it and you get the early adopters in the neighborhood, the early adopters tend to educate the rest of the folks in the neighborhood, and then you get more adoption. So this whole like, I don't know. And again, I'm naive on the subjects, but this. We need to get this government agency to try to teach people how to use the internet. No, mm -hmm. that, you, know, you just need to get your, your neighbors going. Yeah, no, your, 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 your neighbors will teach you. And I'll tell you what, and in, in, I've seen this over and over and over again in every neighborhood, regardless of the demographic, if their Call of Duty ping time is 10 to 15 milliseconds better than their neighbors, they're going to get the fiber internet service. So this whole big... We have to we have to have this whole community engagement. Just build the damn fiber down in front of their house and hook some people up. I guarantee you, within three years, they'll have a very busy network in that neighborhood. Okay. First of all, I'll challenge that because I think have you ever met an early adopter who talks more tech than anybody else in the world can understand? <laughs> like, yeah, but, but but they they hit them where they hit them where people like to be hit. Low ping time on their games and high def streaming off youtube hulu and netflix okay so you talk about your neighbors and i'm gonna like reveal a personal secret both of my parents don't have internet at their home i'm their family and they don't even have internet sure. at their home. like it's like they don't understand the value of it my dad goes do i need this thing called wi-fi and i'm just like what's beyond <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i get it but it's not yeah. easy as just saying you need this your ping time for my dad. I don't know. We, we've, we've done all kinds of different neighborhoods, and some neighborhoods, the uptake's a little slower, but it gets there. All right. That's all it is. It's, it's all, all right. it is. Yeah. So anyway, We're out of time. Just, but there's one, last, there's one last thing that I absolutely have to cover. We're going to punt on the MDUs until um, next yeah, session. Next time. Yep. Um, uh, and Sean, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we're going we're gonna to cut you out. All right. Um, well, I, I, do, I will say this, that now I know that me and you need to bet chicken wings more often. Oh, yeah. yeah, because then we'll have to get together more often. I just, you know, like I, I, I want to force you to move to Minneapolis, man. <laughs> all right. We'll, well see you. All right. Get Steph Curry there and maybe I'll think about it. All right. See you guys. <laughs> that, would, that would be brutal to Steph, man. You're not going to have Steph playing on the Timberwolves. That's awful. Um, the uh, the thing I wanted to finish off with is this, this line extension example, because Doug's familiar with it and I'm horrified by it. Travis. Um, the Minnesota legislature is about to improve internet access um, by basically saying that any home that doesn't have access can basically like create an auction 
and and then the lowest bidder gets to like get some government money to like build out to that home. And I'm curious. I want to get your reaction, but also oh, wait, wait. I want to say- it's much. It's much worse than that. They get up to fifteen. They get up to fifteen thousand dollars to build a home, and 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 so how it works, Travis, one, is one home. Well, yeah, one home. Yeah. And so what will yeah. happen is the the state the state will be forced to do a periodic auction of everybody on that list, and the ISPs will have to go home by home by home and bid on them. And so who's going to do that bidding? The cable company. Yeah, okay. That, that's of what course, I was because nobody else is going to wait. Nobody else there. So, Kim, you track this as well. This was the dumbest thing that I had heard of in a while. Have you heard of dumber approaches to wasting uh, this money that's available? Chris, I don't know if I have. I think this might top top the cake a little bit. And- I mean, most most of the big grants out there are giving four and five thousand dollars. This is going to give triple that. I mean, this is it's, wait, wait till the legislature gets the bill. No, and like in the dynamic that Travis <laughs> described is what will happen, right? This is the exact reason why it's too inefficient for people who are like, oh, I don't know, maybe that's kind of a good idea. So like you have one home that doesn't have service and they're like in three homes that don't have service. One of them gets $15,000 to extend it. And then the next home's like, well, we want that. So like and they're going to they get, get another 15000 <laughs> They're not about to all go in together. It's going to be three yeah. different homes. Who yeah, because- this? Oh, this is written by the cable companies, obviously. Yes. Yeah, but the state of Minnesota, like this is, I'm just so furious because in Minnesota, we have a nine plus billion dollar surplus. You know how much money we're putting into broadband expansion this year? Like 35 million. And um, and then this at this asinine stupid thing, um, we have all this money this coming down. This is going to cost this, a lot more than thirty five million. The state of Minnesota, <laughs> the state of Minnesota is like is like why build fiber today when we could build it in three years? Like I'm I'm just amazed at like the fact that I mean, it's just there's all this opportunity to start building. There's families that desperately need it, and and they're just playing around on the edges. Minnesota at one point, like seven or eight years ago, was the best state on broadband. Oh. You're the and leader. now it is possibly one of the dumbest. It's just frustrating. What you've really done, though, Chris, more than anything, is convince that Travis not to come back to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona's looking pretty nice right now. It, well, it, it's nice down here. I'll tell you what, I was out in California, though. They're pretty proud of everything out there, cost-wise. <laughs> you know, yeah. Travis might start building rural areas for $15,000. <laughs> oh, I, you know, Doug I, and Kim, maybe you guys get it. I don't are there a lot of private operators out there that are building networks or are a lot of these operators waiting on all this government money to actually expand their networks? In, the rural, area, in the rural areas, they're all waiting for the grants. Okay. Okay. I mean, a rural area. So, you know, I mean, Kim's in places where the towns are doing it, but mm-hmm. in the yeah. rural areas, they're waiting for the grants. So. so, so should we have another bet now that I am the victor of the chicken wing bet though? That's the question. And, Will 95% of all federal dollars go to the incumbents across the country? No, I'd take that bet. It won't be 95. I mean, the electric co-ops themselves will take The electric co-ops will take a third of it. I mean, it's going to – rural areas, the incumbents are really not going to push for the worst places. They're not really going to be trying to get West Virginia money. Yeah, they're they're looking for the – 75% or what? Oh, they'll get half of it. Well, I mean, like, I think what the – what the big carriers are doing, what I think, and I saw this in Georgia, is they're going to the counties where there's like some density and some rural areas, and they're saying, "Give us all the money, and we'll build out to ninety percent of the people." And in in some of the counties, are like, "Oh, well, that seems pretty pretty reasonable." Like, and guess yeah. and guess what? Before the project started, the people who didn't have it were ten percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm expecting. 
but i mean it's just they're looking for they're 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 looking for scams right like they're not looking to like get money to solve hard problems they're looking for where they can fool people and take money yes oh you're you're just shocking me here (laughs) (laughs) the reason my phone is ringing ringing off the hook right now is because of all this like it's like how do we do this and i'm like i don't know can we can i go to sleep tonight communities around the country who are trying to figure this out because rural America is going to get a lot of it, but how do urban like areas get connected? Um, I don't not know. Out, not out of this money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so I, um, I mean, some of it. Yeah. But like also um, hopefully the, the cities and the counties will be doing a little bit more. I mean, Baltimore is moving forward, right? Um, you know, keep your eyes. There's probably going to be an announcement and uh, pretty there, soon about a, another large city. There's so a like, handful of cities who will do well with this. Are yeah. we going not, not very many, many but there are yeah. What's that, Kim? Is there going to be an NFL city? Like we talked about, well, there's a bet out there. Um, let's say that wow. it's, a, it's a city the that bet, has a professional bet, sports franchise. The bet, is, <laughs> the bet is they're not going to build the whole city, and th- this money is not going to build the whole city. Baltimore is not like, like a real one or a soccer team, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I, I believe it was lacrosse. Lacrosse, yeah. That was just a goal there. Yeah. <laughs> if it's soccer or lacrosse, it doesn't count. <laughs> Um, I, I think we should, I think we should think about it more bets. Um, but, uh, I think it should be between other people. <laughs> yeah, but, but I have, lot, I have, I have a lot smarter than me. That's the problem. So I have nine months left on this bet. <laughs> I'm guaranteed at least two chicken wings then. Right. <laughs> I'm, Travis, I'm excited. As soon as you get back, we're going out. We'll find a new place. In fact, apparently, um, I, was, I was at a restaurant the other day. There's again a big national shortage of chicken wings. So who yeah. knows? Yeah. yeah. But I was just at Ray J's and uh, they got a spot in Minneapolis, and that was really good. We got some of those. I think you got to try those out. So hey, when do we get to hear about Baltimore, Chris? Is that something you have coming up or what? Yeah, like, I think it sounds like tomorrow, right? Is it is it public yet, or is that coming up? Are you the um, well? The, well, yeah. on Tuesday we're doing releasing an interview, uh, or like a, it's actually it's more like a produced piece with multiple interviews about what Baltimore is doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, actually, uh, I would love to have Jason on, and uh, we're waiting for one more announcement so we can have two cities on at the same time, and right. um, we're gonna get that scheduled pretty quick here, I think. So hopefully, um, I mean, potentially in March, if not April. I do have advice for you, Travis. Make him pay for the wings when you get there so he doesn't have an urgent call at the end of the week. Yeah, you know, every time, yeah, he, the president calls him when the bill comes. That has I, I would pay, but I have to leave. And I, yeah, I, exactly. I, this is way more important than you. I got to get out of here. So I hate to tell you, Travis, but he mails me wings to call him so you don't have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and Jason notes in the it. chat that, that they're not planning to build the entire city. Um, they're focused on the people that need it the most. So. Um, but anyway, what Baltimore is doing is very interesting. And, is um, awesome. yeah. Do we get a sneak peek or do we have to wait till Tuesday? You got to wait till Tuesday, man. Or I could, I'll MP3. That's four or five more warm days. You have to wait. Terrible. <laughs> oh no, I'm heading to Vegas next. So I wonder to see if the weather's like up there. Uh, well, come ooh, home, ooh. Travis. There's wings waiting for you. Oh yeah. No. Next week, we're going to be doing a more technical show. We're going to have on two former guests that were on um, with different people. So uh, Christy Batts from Clarksville will be back uh, from the municipal network there run by the electric uh, power provider, uh, the municipal electric. And we also have um, Robert Boyle from Planet Planet Networks. I always want to call it Planet Fiber or Planet ISP and... um, 
uh, I should have notes on this sort of thing, Planet Networks. And uh, we're going to talk technical stuff. We're going to try and talk a little bit more about uh, some of the technology. And I'm trying to arrange also another special technical guest to, to join us. Um, so um, thank you, uh, Kim and Doug. Um, wonderful discussion. Um, very much appreciate your time. Discussion. as well. It was a good discussion. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, thank you all. And uh, thank you for being in the chat. And um, my mom makes up a lot of different names in the chat. So I, I very much appreciate that <laughs> to make it seem like there's more people here. Uh, but this has been a really fun episode of Connect This. Mm -hmm.